Well, good morning, LCM. Today is March 3rd, 2024, and the title of today's sermon is Unbreakable Bow. Can anybody acknowledge with me what a whirlwind these past few days, weeks, and months have been? Just for a frame of reference, I want to let you know that the end of the One Association Conference was only about four months ago. Four. So starting from the Ledesma wedding slash reception, for those of us who stayed for that, that ended the conference on October 22nd, 2023. Again, just a little over four months ago, we've seen the declaration of the One Association Europe culminate in actual boots on the ground as we speak. Now, when we say boots on the ground, that's a old term to mean that there are actually people there, that we mean that our brothers have already had their first church service together. Y'all, they started traveling this week. They got there and they had their first church service today. This may or may not work, so don't get your hopes up too high. But we even got a quick little video for you to see parts of their service today. Somebody say hallelujah. And in just a few short days, we're going to have the entirety of their beautiful families joining them as they further the investment that in one respect feels like it happened in a flash. And in another respect, we can see the workings of Adonai in this exact moment that we're standing in for many, many years now. Many years. Come on. I thought my my tears were gone. Come on now. Let's go to Psalm 126, starting in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Come on, as we watch that video, we are seeing the beginning of this. We are like those who dreamed. You guys remember, recall back to Dreamer. If you haven't listened to it, again, we encourage you, implore you, listen to it. This was from the very beginning. And now we're standing in this as ones who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. On the other side of this, the Lord has done great things for them. For them. The excitement of them sitting in that living room. Finally, with the anticipation of that team coming and what is now happening. We get to to revel in that. We get to enjoy that so good. We have participated in watching the families of LCM and the entire OAUS collect financial support that was donated to this monumental effort. We have truly seen the times of Ibsen manifest with marriages of the Hayes family. Come on! The Morrisons. As they joined with the Ledesmas to watch family lines become church connections for all time. On that note, blossoming relationships will be added to these numbers and furthermore. Oh yeah. 
We see a few of you. The promise of potential marriages to come will continue this prophetic theme for the foreseeable future. Come on, for us as a church, we can all hear the truths of the weapons of old that are permeating our every conversation, our meeting, and our every sermon. The very reality that built our church and the entirety of the association is alive and active in our midst right now. Somebody say right now. Men and women and families are being reminded of their 12 gates to understand who they are in Christ. Marriage counseling is flourishing in this house. We're all looking at what it means to have full price sacrifices that are poured out before him and become beautiful. We have all become bows, faithfully launching our finest arrows. And these are just a few brief examples of what God is doing here. But the truth is, is we don't even have to look back four months. We can look back exactly four weeks from this day where we all participate in the ordination of the three of the finest, most capable pastors that a church could hope to have. And, somebody say and, the recognition of the lifetime appointment of our newest elder. These men are supernatural proof that God is with us, he's for us, and he is in fact bringing about his will right here in our midst. And today, say today. Today is not a day for tears or weeping. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we are rejoicing in it, because it is his joy that is strengthening us in every way. Pastor Wade and I are reveling in the fact that we know what we must do, that we are bows, and we are becoming unbreakable bows. Come on, turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 34 and say unbreakable bow as you turn there. Oh, come on now, get it. Say unbreakable bow. Church, we are excited today because it is not a day to weep and mourn. Not anymore. After the announcements of the young Stevens baby, no more crying here. And those were tears of joy anyway. We're going to celebrate what God has done. We're going to celebrate what he is doing and where he is taking us. Deuteronomy chapter 34, let's begin in verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land. You ready for all the land? Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. So Moses is standing on top of a mountain looking into the promised land. We often focus on the fact that according to Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12, that Moses was not able to enter into the land. If you're like me, that's what you often think about in this moment. I want to help us to understand this from a different perspective today. We're going to get this because Moses is allowed to look, to gaze upon the entirety of the land in every region, in every zone, and in every area here. Now, if you take a look at it, it is my firm belief that when you, I went on a Google map and saw uh, the Google Earth, where you can actually put yourself in that perspective, I want to tell you that you cannot see all these places that Moses is said to have viewed. There are other land masses like Jerusalem itself, other mountains that would keep you from seeing what God is saying that Moses was able to see. Now, he had gone up. He was on a mountaintop, but it required something supernatural. He still had to be elevated even higher than a mountaintop 
for him to be able to see the fullness of what God had. We're talking about getting real revelation in this house. It required Moses to get real revelation. There were things that he could see with his eyes, but what is just described is a supernatural miracle. Church, we are required to get real revelation. And you know what that's going to take for us here in this room? We're going to have to be lifted from our place of where we stand now. No matter how high that we've already gone, we're going to have to be lifted up so we can see the entirety of what God has said. Let's talk about real revelation for a minute. Does anybody in this house have a mezuzah? Did God give you and reveal to you this mezuzah? Then you have real revelation that elevated you from your current place and God showed you something that was too big for you to see. But once you've seen it, now you understand what every day of your life is supposed to be about. Uh, Treester, Gibby, I've got the start of my homework from Thursday night. Anybody here with us on Thursday night? Where we're going to back the bow by taking a white sheet of paper. Thank you for the gift, by the way, gentlemen. And I have in shorthand, and the very first thing that I, pus- that I put on this white piece of paper was mezuzah. And I wrote out my own mezuzah. Because God gave it to me, and it instructs me in every day and in every decision that I'm supposed to make. It gave me a breadth of a lamb that was much larger than I could understand, but I was able to take hold of it. What about a family banner? Does anybody, has anybody gotten a revelation of your family banner? Raise your hand now for me. Is anybody still working on your family banner? Praise the Lord. Then if you have that, you know what else you have on your sheet of paper? You know what else that you have from real revelation? You have a promise that God made to you. You have an attitude that you're supposed to be able to stand in and walk in. You have a method of the way that you're going to go about. You have your mission and what that's like. You know the blessings and the curses for what you are required to do in a daily way. Somebody said that's special. See, what you have written on your white sheet of paper, what we're talking to you today about is not something that we're like, I kind of like Charlie. Charlie seems to have heard from the Lord. I'll, I'll have what he's having. Give me some of that. Give, give me some of that. That sounds good. Oh, uh, Carlos is a man of God. He, he really seems close to the Lord. I kind of like what he said. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll take that too. Now, on your white sheet of paper, on the real revelation that you've gotten, what you do is you go to the Father. I got to tell y'all something. Today, Adam and I are going to have a good time. Elder Adam and I are going to have a great time today. What we're going to try to do today is share with you what happened in our prayer time with the Father yesterday. We got together, speaking of weapons of old, and we prayed through the tabernacle together. And you know what the Lord did? He spoke to us. He spoke to us. We We had a great time yesterday because we were just in the presence of the Lord He was lifting us up higher than we could do on our own, and he was showing us things that we know are for you today. Yeah. When when you're afraid, you have some thoughts and doubts of, like, what you're about to do, the first thing you should do is get get into the tabernacle. Hear from him. I can't tell you the confidence it is. When we're sitting together, we're, okay, we've got to figure this out. We've got to get this direction. We've got to get going. And yet, the first thing we need to do is hear from the Lord first. Our plans don't matter. It's his plan. We're aligning with what he wants to do. And in order to do that, we have to hear from him. I don't have time to pray. No, you don't have time not to pray. I promise. So let's pick up in verse 4. And the Lord said to him, 
This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. God is speaking to Moses about a plan that is bigger than just him. The land is expansive. The purpose spans back all the way to Abraham and his descendants. The scope will require generations of offspring. Man, Gibby. Generations of offspring to conquer, occupy, and develop. God is speaking to Moses about what it means to be a boat. We are now reviewing a task list for Moses to accomplish. Not a task list. We are seeing what his lifetime has ultimately been aimed at. This interaction with Adonai is not about Moses alone, what Moses alone can accomplish, as if he was an arrow. This interaction is about what the impact of Moses' life will be since he is a bow. This is what made Moses unbreakable. This is what made him the man that he is. His eyes were not dimmed. His vigor was unabated. Because he had to be unbreakable to be able to launch an entire nation to the target God had for them. An entire nation. That's arrow after arrow after arrow. I'd be unbreakable after that too. Real revelation is unbreakable. Somebody say real revelation is unbreakable. I want you to notice this verse really, really briefly. That when God is speaking to Moses, what does he do? He not only gives him what his future is going to be. Let me talk to you about your descendants. But what God does is he ties it in with the promises that he's already made. A real revelation from God definitely points you forward, but it is always in perfect alignment with what God has already said. It's in alignment with his word. It's in alignment with the promises that he's already given you. That's what makes this real revelation. Let's look at verse 9 in Deuteronomy 34. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, this is pretty amazing. We skipped over a few verses that actually let you see the death of Moses. It explained that death that he had there. So literally, Moses is gone, and his story is being finished by the men who came after him and were trained by him. Joshua is finishing the writing of Deuteronomy. If Moses is gone and Moses wrote the Torah, how are these last few verses in the Torah? It had to be Joshua that was writing this. And Joshua is finishing even as he is the next generation of leadership for God's people. See, true discipleship has produced in Joshua the exact same substance that was in Moses, and that's why Joshua is able to rise to this task. What's more is like Moses, who always operated in a team with Aaron and the 70 elders. They all had the same spirit of God upon him. From Deuteronomy 10, we know that after Aaron's death, Moses worked in a team with Eleazar as the high priest. And now Joshua is operating with Eleazar and that tandem in that team, along with the 70 elders, to become a collective part of a unified team to lead God's people. Church, this is a new generation of leadership that we're seeing here. They honored the previous generation because they had become of the exact same substance. 
Did you hear what, jo- what Joshua just wrote about Moses? There's never been another one like him, except that Joshua is going to do the same and more of what Moses just did. So the homage that is being paid here to Moses would be frail and fickle if it were just left to words on a page. Anybody ever tried to say nice things to you, but it fell kind of short, it fell kind of flat? See, real honor is seen that from the moment that these men and the people forged ahead, they were forging ahead in the same power, the same manner, and the same way of life that they had been trained in. You want to honor those that have gone before you? Live in the same way that they did. Accomplish more than what they did. It's nice for words, but words fall short if your works aren't matching them. You have to step forward and say, I will pay homage to what God has done by living up to it and increasing it and multiplying it. See, being an unbreakable bow requires that others be raised up in the same spirit of the men who've gone before us with the expectation of exalting and magnifying the work even further. Yeah. Joshua spends decades on a leadership team that sent forth arrow after arrow, resulting in the conquest of the promised land and the division of the inheritance for God's people. You can know for sure that Joshua wasn't just a bow. He was an unbreakable bow because of how the people responded at the conclusion of his ministry. Remember, Real revelation is unbreakable. Real revelation in you makes you unbreakable. No amount of failure caused Joshua to set aside the real revelation that he had about Adonai or the real revelation that he had about who he was. I'm going to say that again. We need to hear this in this room. No amount of failure caused Joshua to set aside the real revelation. The real revelation. Or the real revelation that he had about who he was. That revelation was unbreakable. No amount of opposition, no amount of battles, no amount of war caused him to fail to function as the bow that he was. The revelation in him made him unbreakable. Now, if you guys remember, Pastor Eric a few weeks ago, during the sermon, beautiful. He asked a question. Have you ever considered that your life will be summarized after you are gone in a single epitaph? written on a stone marker for your grave. Remember that question? That's sobering, right? I think about the things that, yes, I I want to be remembered by. Problem is, it's not just about what I think. It's not about what I want it to be. It's going to be what others would write about me. So it is the Uh, an evaluation of our faithfulness to the revelation that we have received and the costly nature of our personal sacrifices for Adonai. In light of that, I have another question for you. More than what people will say, yeah, more than what people will say about you when your work on earth is done, what will they have been transformed into because of your work in their life? The work in their life. It is a good question. Real revelation in you, demonstrated through the works of your hands, makes your deeds for others unbreakable. It transforms them. It helps to shape them into who they are by seeing your life. That's the epitaph. That's the legacy that goes on after. That's what people will carry on. When we say that you are bows that are becoming unbreakable bows, this is what we mean. Does anybody want to have a legacy that goes beyond what you, what you can see now? Do you want to make an impact on the people around you? Do you want to accomplish God's will for your life? Well, we know that you do because you're here. That's actually why God brought you 
to this church. You could have been a lot of other places, but he brought you here to move us well past just thinking about ourselves to then thinking about what our families will accomplish, but ultimately accomplishing God's will. It's still not self-serving. We are ministering to him. We're understanding that his goal is what has now become our goal. See, let's turn together to Joshua 24. We're going to take a look, and we're going to go to the end of Joshua's life. We've been doing a lot of study over the last few weeks and months on Joshua. We've gone through many of the stories in the book of Joshua. So let's advance. We just saw the end of Moses' life in that transitional period. Now we're going to look at the end of Joshua's life to see what Joshua accomplished in the hearts and the lives of other people. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 31. Somebody say unbreakable bow when you're there. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. See, it's the, it's the two phrases here that really show the unbreakable nature of Joshua's ministry. The first phrase that we have is, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. What an amazing thought that in his entire life was producing such good work in other people that it caused the nation of Israel to be able to serve God rightly. In these next two phrases that we see, it shows us the unbreakable nature of Joshua's ministry and leadership. He not only led the nation to victory after victory, but he raised up men who were able to carry on the work and magnify it in every way. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and, somebody say and, all the days of the elders who outlived him. Joshua, being an unbreakable bow, allowed his influence and his strength to last beyond his own lifetime. What he did and accomplished was not just for him. It was not even only for his day. It outlasted his life. Let me just say it in a different way. Moses was able to see beyond his own land. Somebody say, that's amazing. Joshua was able to live beyond his own lifetime. He was able to live beyond his own lifetime. Somebody say, that's magnification. And this is what being an unbreakable bow is all about. See, the final phrase in the verse proves what we're saying to you. It wasn't just that the elders outlived Joshua. As in, this is an order of timing or the order of your arrival. Well, we weren't here at the beginning of, of, of LCM, but you're here now. I wasn't here at the beginning, but I'm here now. LCM is an unbreakable bow, and I am part of this right now. It's not about when you got here. It's what you've done since you've been here. It's what you're going to do in the days ahead of you. This is about getting the revelation revelation in you that's demonstrated by the work of your own hands that allows your deeds to make others unbreakable in their pursuit of the Lord. The elders knew all the work that the Lord had done for Israel. Do you know how they knew it? It's because they were part of it. They, they saw it. But more than just seeing it and being a spectator, they were active in it. And even more than being active in it, they became essential to it. 
Joshua did not operate independently. He had Eleazar. He had these elders. They were there in the meetings. They were there ministering. They saw day in and day out. They walked in their function. And therefore, when Joshua, when his life ended, the ministry of Joshua continued on throughout the lives of the elders who were with him. That's an amazing thought. That's because the elders had also become unbreakable bows, just like Joshua. Gosh, it's amazing when you see, you see men who are standing up and moving. The ripples in the wake, the effect that that has on people. We see that in the scripture. We see that amongst our lives. We're experiencing this. We have men like Paul Rosales who are standing up because he's seen the leaders before doing it. And he's working with everything he has to do the exact same thing. It's living on inside of him. And he's going to be planted somewhere, and that's going to be the same effect it's going to have on others following after him. Verse 32, we're going to pick up. It says, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. The amazing part about receiving real revelation is not only, not that it only gives you insight for the future, it also helps to fulfill every promise of the past. One more time. The amazing part about receiving real revelation is not, it only gives you insight for the future. It also gives help to fulfill every promise of the past. Numbers 23, 19 says this, God is not man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Joseph was so sure of God's ability to fulfill what was promised, so confident, confident in the literal words and works of Adonai, that Joseph made his descendants promise. Literally, he had them swear to him to bring his bones with them and put them to rest in the land of promise to wait for the resurrection. What God has spoken, he will fulfill. Come on. Real revelation is when you have actually heard from God. It is unbreakable. Unbreakable. Therefore, it will never fail to come to pass, no matter how long it takes, and how many generations will be required to fulfill it. For Joseph, it was hundreds of years between the pledge and its fulfillment. Do you realize we're at the end of the book of Joshua? And at the end of the book of Joshua, at the end of Joshua's life, we're referring back to the end, the last chapter in the book of Genesis to get Joseph's life and Joseph's bones to be moved with him. It took hundreds of years for them to be able to fulfill the promise that Joseph made them swear to him, but they did it. This moment of victory in Joshua's life was not only about elders, it was also about fulfilling promises that some of the men who were standing there may not have even been aware of. God is able to accomplish many, many things at the same time. So what does that mean for us? We should have the same confidence that Joseph did. We're standing on promises. We're standing on revelation that we've received. He had so much confidence in God's promises that he said, bring my bones with you when we succeed. He was finishing his part of the race, but knew that there was more race to run. Church, there are past promises, vows, pledges that we'll be allowed to help fulfill even as we are advancing in our day and time. 
towards Adonai's ultimate plan. Okay, let us help you get this for just a second, okay? The idea that what God is pointing you towards is not just about you. Well, yes, it's for my brothers. Yes, it will help them as well. It will also fulfill things that God has said to generations past that he is using you to be able to accomplish in your day or to be able to further it so that that promise is accomplished yet in the future. The idea that Joseph's bones promise me because I know what God has said. I know where the people will go and I know that he has a land marked out for us. Promise me, people, that you will take my bones with you. That you will take my remains. That I may have actual my remains buried in what God has said. And every generation that came after that was fulfilling promises that God had made to them. He was moving them forward and this promise never left. Do you see why it's so important for us to understand the promises that God has said? of what he said to us as a body. It's more than just you. It's more than just you figuring out. It's us getting real revelation because real revelation addresses the issues and the promises of the past and it points you towards your future while giving you what you must do today. Somebody say that's real revelation. Gosh, that's freeing too when you hear the way that the Lord directs you. When it's aligned with the things from the past and the things for the future, you know you're right in the right spot. You're in that sweet spot. You can have confidence. There are vows to the Brotherhood of the One Association that have been made. Before a pastor, like our three pastors, are ordained to the One Association churches, they pledge to keep the oaths and irreducible minimums. God has spoken and he will fulfill. And he will use those who have become unbreakable bows to do it. There are vows to build 12 domestic springs. Come on. 12 domestic springs. Exodus 15. If you don't know about this, ask one of the pastors or the elders. We will share it with you. We will make sure that the next generation knows exactly what needs to be done. God will use men and their families in this very room to accomplish this. We will be the unbreakable bows that will help prepare them and send them. There are vows to send 100 families to the Middle East. <sighs> Come on, we are going to do it. After all is said and done right now, we are sending five. Send five. The first fruits of the 95 more that are yet to come. 95 more. Look around here. Do we have 95 families yet in this room? No. But, man, we're building them. Man, we're building them. Ain't that right, Rob? Putting in the work. Yes. Now is the time to have confidence. Cute. Don't shout out to Rob anymore. When you see this. See, that's elder wisdom right there. Going. That's elder wisdom. Yep. When you see this stage full of kids, does this not spur you on that Adonai is clearly progressing his revelation for us? He's helping us. He's helping us to advance families. He's giving us what we need. Families in this room will be sending their kids, their grandkids into the nations. Yes, because we are bows and we are becoming unbreakable bows. Lincoln's over there raising his hand because he knows he wants to go. He wants to go. He will be going. I want to share with you guys the, when I came here and the revelation that was uh, that illuminated to my eyes. Okay? 
I was a man that I wanted to lead my family well. I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to help them, but I didn't know how to do it. I had the intentions, but I didn't have the vision. I didn't have the tasks to do it. You need both. What I got when I came here was exactly that. I saw men who were leading their families because they had vision and they had tasks set out before them. They had revelation. Revelation, like things like a thousand generations. Or the sermon, can you see it? Literally, can you see it? That was, that was in November of 2020. We just got here. We were here for two months. That revelation opened my eyes to what had to be done. You guys know that I took it in my own power to not have children anymore. Because of that sermon, because of the revelation given to this body, that changed everything. That changed me and caused me to action. I went and I had to change all of that, and we did. We did. And we have... We have Mordecai in our family. And we have baby Denisa. The Lord was good to expand our generation so that we can be a part of the revelation that's here in this body. So now, now it's Lincoln, it's Samson, it's Gideon, it's Mordecai, it's Denisa. They are going to be sent to other nations. They are going to plant churches. They are going to build up the very revelation and the future of what we have right here. That's what they're for. It's one of the promises I have on here. Promises for children. Promises for a daughter that the Lord has fulfilled me with. Come on. Come on, give glory to God in this house. Come on. Do you see why real revelation is so important to get? It changes family lines. Adam and his family came here because Adam was a man who realized and had a heart not to advance his own personal walk with the Lord as an individual. He cared about his generations. That's the thing that stood out to me most when Adam got here, was he didn't care about any glory for himself. He just wanted his sons and his future daughter to be able to do this rightly. Because of that, he's been entrusted. That real revelation has made Elder Adam stable and strong in a way that we can all look to and admire. Isn't that true? Somebody say amen. amen. See, when you get real revelation, it's tying in promises of the past even as it's giving you prophecy of the future and directing your steps for today. <laughs> there's no one of us, there's no single man, there's no single family that can accomplish getting to the yellow region there on the map. And even if you were the lone exception of all humanity and you could get there, there would be no produce after that. You see that all the time. Individuals who are anointed, who are talented, but their ministry goes no further than their own lifetime. It's not Moses where they're seeing the land of, that's beyond their lifetime. It's not Joshua who's getting his legacy to go beyond his lifetime. It ends with them and their own strength. See, we want you to get the importance of what we're saying. When you get real revelation, it's unbreakable. The revelation itself is unbreakable. 
it's unchanging because God is unchanging. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not going to say something and then not do it. When you personally walk in real revelation, you become unbreakable. You're not worried about just today. You realize that no matter how you feel, you say, I have something that I can look to. I have real revelation that I'm standing upon. I will keep moving forward. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter the difficulty. I am moving forward, and I'm actually gaining strength. Oh, don't worry about my body. Don't worry about how I feel. I'm actually getting better because I'm doing this day in and day out because it's real revelation, and it is what I will do no matter what I think, no matter how I feel. We move forward. It took four years for Gabe and and Olivia to be able to get pregnant, but they moved forward because God gave them a promise. What promise has God given you? What real revelation has he given you? Then as you stand on it, no matter what it looks like on the outside, you stand on that revelation, and it makes you unbreakable in your pursuit. Then... When you daily fulfill that revelation, it's demonstrated through your actions. It's demonstrated through your words. And this makes other people unbreakable around you. This is what ministry is about. See, we're joining in an everlasting plan that God has. We know this well. Ephesians 2 teaches us that God has included us into a plan that he instituted from the beginning. Somebody say from the beginning. You can think about Jeremiah 6, ask for the ancient path, and I will show it to you. You can walk on the ancient path. There is a singular path. There is a singular plan that God has. That is why we're called his workmanship, created to do good works. Somebody say, I've been included in his plan. So then how do we rectify some of our favorite verses? You know, the ones quilted on your grandma's pillows? Like Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the plans I have for you. Can I help you with that? There's only one plan that God has. He's got a singular plan that is manifested to us. And from our perspective, he gives us plans. He gives you a portion of the plan that you can carry out. So from our perspective... Looks like this is a plan called a mezuzah. Looks like that's a plan that's called a mezuzah. This is a direction. You're going to be a domestic spring. You're going to go overseas. You, you're going to send your your kids, your grandkids, and your great-grandkids to go be with these men who are in these other places. It looks like plans when you're looking at it from our perspective, but God has a singular plan that you get to have a portion of. That is such good news. You're not having to derive something on your own. Just try to find a map and and throw an arrow at it and hope that it lands in the right place. What God is doing, he's saying, I see Chris Reyesora and this client. I want them right here. I have purpose for them. They're fitting into my big plan, and I want them, and I'm giving them plans that they may function in day after day and year after year. Real revelation ties you into the plan of God for all of mankind. You don't have to have happy feet to try to guess what God is going to want you to do. Uh, 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 maybe, maybe I should go here. Maybe I should go here. Look at me, church. God put you here for a reason. 
what he's going to tell you to do today is not so drastically different than what he told you to do yesterday. You know why? Because there's a singular plan that he's working on. And you're part of the plan. He brought you here to be developed. You are a bow. What God is developing you into is that you become an unbreakable bow. You are a part of a church that has sent out wave after wave of arrows. And we're going to keep doing it. We're not even remotely done on what we have to do. So let stability find and let stand in the stability and strength that God has given you. I look at Mr. Carlos and Miss Pilar. Don't y'all love them? I love that God brought this family. Yeah, we like Carlos a little bit too, but I like Mr. Carlos. God, <laughs> God brought them here to be a part of his plan by giving them plans. That should give you confidence in what God is doing in you. You don't need to run around. You need to just stand exactly where he's put you and trust. Keep doing what he's given you to do over and over and over again. That is nobility. That is how you honor what God is doing is that you grow in this. Your bows that are becoming unbreakable bows because the tasks that are before us are great and expansive. Little secret here, the cost is going to be high and the fight will be absolutely fierce. But this is what you were made for, and this is why you've been brought here to LCM. You are warriors in a house of heroes. I'm looking at you in this room. You are warriors. You're in a house full of heroes that will never back up, shut up, or let up. I want to let you know and declare to you as one of your pastors, as a fatherly voice in this house, we are ready to go to war. We're ready to fight for real revelation that we've received, and we will be a people who do our part for his grand plan, and we will rejoice as we're doing it. Whew. With all that in mind, it's only fitting to go to Psalm 16. So let's turn there. Say unbreakable bow as you turn. Unbreakable bow. We'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. Yes, preserve me, O God. But only preserve me and keep my vigor unabated and my eyes undimmed so that I could be unbreakable bow that you have designed me to be. The I take refuge. This isn't going on a vacation somewhere. Some special retreat to run away and regather your thoughts and feelings. No. It's not a day off. It's not running from that not running into the house of God to hide from an enemy. It's taking refuge in the work that he's given you. The work that he's given you because you're here. That's what the refuge is. Having confidence in it. I have no good work that can be done apart from the undying attention to your plan. Real revelation is a refuge that you take your stand upon. Making you as unyielding and enduring as a revelation that you have received. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Didn't that just delight you to see our brothers in their first service today? Did you love Pastor Peyton singing it in Romanian already? That's amazing. Y'all, they got there this week. I think Thursday our time is when they all got there. 
They don't have beds yet. They may not even have a toilet yet. Yeah. And what did they do? They got about the work of the kingdom. You ready for this? You want to honor our brothers? Get to work. We can rejoice while we're doing it. Get to work. What has God given you? They're going about it because they're excellent ones and we can take delight. As your pastors and elders, we're taking delight in this room and what you are to accomplish. We've taken the target so seriously that we get to celebrate and love the ones that he does. They are excellent and they are standing with us. Come on, it's one thing to have to do something by yourself. Even if you were by yourself, you and the Holy Spirit is a majority every time. Somebody say, and when you get to stand with brothers, I'm not at a loss if I have to do it by myself because many great men stand and do it. But you know what God's plan is? God's plan is that you can stand with brothers, the excellent ones. Take delight and say, no, I am a bow. I will keep launching. Oh, you're doing the same thing? Yes, let's do it together. Let's hit the target. Let's stay on plan for what God has for us. We are in our formation. We're standing in rank. We have our eyes toward him, and we're receiving the revelation that we need. Can somebody say amen to that? I promise you that our issues are not that we don't have enough revelation. My issue is not that I don't have enough revelation. What I have on this page can take care of every day of the rest of my life already. And I'm not done writing it down yet. We have the revelation. What we need is to stand in formation and fight. We need to be able to work day in and day out and do this. We are not only bows, but we're coming unbreakable bows. We will fight and we're going to bleed and we're going to die to ensure that his will is accomplished. And we are loving the brothers who are right alongside of us demonstrating the very same DCD works and words that are there. Men who don't give a damn about what is going on in the rest of the world, but only accomplishing what God has for us. So verse 4, let's go to there. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a bountiful inheritance. Those who are not of the same substance are not even worthy of my words, much less my, act, my works, unless they become the target set by my commander. My work is driven by the revelation that my father gives me, and so I will work tirelessly to achieve his desire. Do you want to know why? I, we, can get to work like this. It is because it is the Lord who has set our boundaries. Here, he has set our boundaries. Do you hear the prophecy? It's freeing where he's put us. It is freedom to be in the boundaries where he wants us to be. So we have full authority to work within those boundaries of everything he said because it's he said it. He's getting rid of every other distraction, everything else that's being pulled up out of our lives so that we can do the very functions that he has. That's going to be what's going to sustain us. That's going to show us the exact work we need to do. 
He has designed our target, and it is he who will receive our all. I will stretch out again and again within these pleasant places and occupy all the ground that he has assigned to me. I'm a bow, and I'm, I will become unbreakable as this revelation makes me, makes us unbreakable. Church, like we said it already, isn't there just such that freedom that's there? Freedom of what we're supposed to do. Having these kinds of boundary lines is not restrictive in any way. It's freeing in every way. Knowing my portion and my cup gives me the focus to know what I must do today. The importantness. We're not going to get stuck in, well, that's just so far away that I don't do anything right now. It's here and it's now. We know what to do because God has given us the boundary lines where we've fallen. We know the things that we need to do. And if you don't, let's start with just Abigail and the ball cards. Let's start at working at our own. We know exactly what we need to do. We don't know anything else. Yes, we do. In order for the singular plan of God to be reached and for more to become unbreakable in the process, these are the things that we have to have, this singular focus. This is what makes our boundaries pleasant and our inheritance beautiful. The antithesis is also true. It is when I've strayed from my inheritance that the stretching of the bow makes me feel like I will break instead of become unbreakable. You guys felt that before. Yeah. But we are bows. We are designed to be under tension, to be stretched to our capacity, to be in the midst of battles and warfare and function exactly as God has made us again and again. Come on, somebody say that's good. So what do you do now? We get to work implementing the real revelation that you received. We're not waiting for a day off in the future. Get on a long road trip. You're counting down the miles. You're thinking. You're daydreaming. You're whatever. But when you finally get there, it's time to get out and get after the reason that you were on the trip in the first place. We have entered into a new realm. We've entered into a new time. We have what God has already given us, and the trip is here. It's time for us to stand up and get to work in our own lives and to do this together. Real revelation in you is what makes you unbreakable. Real revelation in you through the work of your hands and the words of your mouth makes those around us unbreakable because real revelation produces real work. How about Proverbs 12, 11? Let me just read this to you for time's sake. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. All right. I just want to tell you it takes real work day in and day out to be a bow that has become unbreakable. Anything and everything that is not in alignment with the genuine revelation that has been given is a worthless, empty pursuit. Other translations say those who daydream. Some say those who chase fantasies. Yikes. The word there in the Hebrew is about being empty and worthless. It's the word wreck. When you are pursuing something that is not zeroed in on the revelation that God has already given you, it's a worthless pursuit. So don't read what you have on the screen here, though. He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. It's not that you fail to understand or to comprehend what's going on. Me, me, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. 
put those thoughts out of your head because that's not what this verse is saying. It's actually worse than that. The Hebrew says that you actually lack heart. When you are following worthless pursuits, you lack heart, not intelligence. See, when you've neglected the work that God has put before you, it is both a sign and a cause of heart failure. It's both a sign that you lack heart, and when you're not pursuing the work of the Lord, it causes you to lack heart. So let me help you. In the natural, you got to be careful to keep those uh, BPM, those beats per minute down and beating too fast for any particular activity. You might want to slow down. You might want to sit down. You might need to catch your breath. But, somebody say but, in the kingdom, you will have heart failure when you aren't working as a bow on the behalf of others. Those of you who understand your Nabal traits and your Abigail traits well, most of us in the room, when we are focused on ourselves, is when our Nabals flourish. When we are focused on others, we start getting this thing right, and we start feeling the approval of God. Because that is how the kingdom is worked. When you work wholeheartedly, you'll not only have the actual bread that you need, or I guess the bread that you need, you'll have the heavenly provision that will sustain you long after the natural food is gone. You don't need to take time off from working and collect yourselves when it's God's vision and his revelation to you. The very thing that will protect your heart, the very thing that will cause you to not lack or lose heart is to step forward into what he has said. This is what makes you bold of heart. This is what makes you strong in what God is doing, and it ultimately makes you unbreakable. Come on. All right, we're going to continue this theme. So as we go to Ruth 2, starting in verse 5, let's say, I want to work. I want to work. So it says, then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. You guys know this story very well. Ruth has found the right field to be in. She has found those pleasant places for her to expend herself, and she has not failed to work hard. Her undying efforts showed that she had not lost or lacked heart, but rather that she was overjoyed to be given the opportunity to give her full all expend her last bit of strength, be stretched to the limit, and she's become unbreakable in that process. Church, how does it feel when you are stretched to your capacity? And yet you are becoming unbreakable. It's a needed stretch. We need Can I keep going? That's the next question. Can I keep going in this? Do I have what it takes? Should I slow down and take a break? No. 
I mean, after all, can my heart take it? Your heart can't take not giving your all. It can't take not giving your all. It is needed. Look at the final phrase, except for a short rest. We want to give you guys a little uh, expound on this a little bit. Ruth was not slacking or lacking heart in this. It's not her just running away like, you know, I'm going to take my rest because I've worked too hard. That's not it at all. She was honoring the principle of the Sabbath. This is the rest that she had committed herself to. That word there for rest is Sabbath. When you work and you expend yourself and you give everything you possibly can for the six days of the week, who gave man the Sabbath? He gave man the Sabbath to rest fully, to reflect. This is the rest you took. It wasn't that she was trying to hide off because it got too hot in the middle of the day. No, she worked hard from the moment she got there. She worked steadily, unending. She kept working in the boundary lines that she was placed in. But God provided her the rest that she needed so she can keep going. That's what God's given us. That's why we work hard for the six days. That's why we have a Sabbath. Gone are the days when we're trying to short Shorten our work because we feel we need to take more rest than we need to. If you haven't been taking your Sabbath time, this is what happens in your life. You feel too expended and you feel like you have to pull away. No. You keep working as hard as you possibly can because you know that God's given you that full rest. You're working to have that rest so you can be with God. That's what we need to do. More than just taking a day off or having a family day, a Sabbath is when you are just looking at the kind of holy rest that reminds you that all of your all-out labors are not what does it in and of itself. It is God supernaturally coming into the scene. You are exhausting yourself, and he comes in and does something supernatural on your behalf. Turn with us to Nehemiah 6 as we, as we continue this idea. Nehemiah 6 and verse 15. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the Israelites have just finished a monumental task and it only took them 52 days to do it. They exhausted themselves clearing the rubble, fighting with opposing forces that were without and within. They faced ridicule, threats, and enemy forces. But the end result of this kind of all-out work was the testimony of God's help that caused all of those enemies, all of those foes, and every schemer to cower in fear. They, the enemy, were the ones whose pride was crushed. The enemy were the ones who actually came, get this, to a revelation of who God is. When our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. They fell greatly in their own esteem. They perceived, the enemies perceived, that God had been with us, helped us to accomplish what had been accomplished. That's amazing. 
See, our works and our efforts, driven from the place of his revelation, make the results both supernatural for us and even for the naysayers and the enemies that are around us. Church, becoming an unbreakable bow requires that you stand in and on the revelation that you have. Real revelation helps you to stand in the midst of tension. Get this. Y'all ready for a bow analogy here? You can stand in the midst of tension as the Lord is drawing you close to his face. When we think of these principles, it's easy to drift into the idea of us being the archer. We've talked about being an unbreakable bow all day today. It's been a theme in the last week or so. If you're like me, if you're not careful, you drift in the idea of you being the archer that's holding the bow. No, we're the bow. We are the bow. He is the archer. He is the one who takes us into his hands, and that tension that's being added is actually getting you close to his face. It is putting you right there beside him. Remember, You're a bow, and you're becoming an unbreakable bow through this process. Your job is to stay under the tension. You can't alleviate the tension and still be a bow. You've got to keep the tension there. You've got to be assigned the right arrow to develop and to launch. And you've got to be stretched beyond what you feel like you can do. But this stretching brings you to the face of God and gives the power for his will to be done on earth. He's drawn you close. He has set your direction and aim. When we're talking real revelation, you are not the archer in this story. You're the bow. You point at and look at what he's told you to do, and you just get ready to fire again and again. Tension and then launch. Tension, yes, that's what we were made to do because he's the archer for you. He draws you close. He sets your direction. He empowers you to be able to accomplish what his desire and his plan is. It's your job to work with all your might. That's your job. Work with everything that you have. Go beyond what you think you have. Keep getting stretched and attention. It's your job to have those arrows be launched out. But you're an unbreakable bow that is in the hands of God, and it causes you to be close to his face Every time when you feel like you're under the most tension and maybe even about to break. See, it's your job to work. It's his job to make you unbreakable. What honor is there in waging war against a far lesser enemy? None. Zero. When you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will win, no honor. The greater honor comes as you enter the battle, unsure if you could be victorious. But you fight on nonetheless. The greatest honor comes when you enter knowing that you will die, but that he is worth it anyway. You boldly, joyfully enter the fray with nothing but the faith that says that you will exhaust yourself in this great contest of the faith. We never seek to preserve our life, our reputation, or our agenda, certain that our God will achieve through us more than our own self-preservation could ever hope to. We are bows, and we are in his kingdom. We're going to turn to Leviticus 26, verse 3. Say unbreakable bow as you're turning. 
If you walk in my statutes and are sure to obey my commands, I will give you your rains in their time so that the land will give its yield and the trees of the field will produce their fruit. We battle to walk in his statutes and obey his commands. And he gives that which you cannot do for yourself. He brings the rains that water the fields and actually causes the growth. This is the assurance for those words and whose works put on full display the victorious, conquering, all-surpassing faith in their God. Look at verse 5. Threshing season will extend for you until the season for harvesting grapes. And the season for harvesting grapes will extend for you until sowing season, so that you will eat your bread until you are satisfied and you will live securely in your land. LCM, I want to remind you, everybody look up at here. Look up here for a second. You are not an empty granary. Rather, you have come to LCM that is a rich storehouse of treasures from heaven. And you have become a storehouse of treasures of the word. We are a storehouse of men who commit all, risk all, and endure all for the sake of the kingdom. This is what the prophecies for the past few weeks and even months have been to you. I want to remind you that you're fruitful, that you, can, that you are faithful, and that you are fiery in your pursuit of the Lord. That's who you are. Somebody say, that's who I am. Of course we are jars of clay in this process. Of course there's this, we are victorious and we feel frail at the same time. Yes, that's what it is to be a bow. I feel like I'm going to break, but you're not. You're here. You're stronger. You're better. You've launched more at this point than ever than we ever have to this date. He is with us. Do not lose heart. These light and momentary afflictions that you have, they're working something into us. He's showing us something eternal. So we stand up and we do exactly what he's told us to do. Verse 6, I will grant peace in the land so that you will lie down to sleep without anyone terrifying you. I will remove harmful animals from the land, and no sword of war will pass through your land. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Five of you will pursue a hundred, and a hundred of you will pursue ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. This is the conflict you have entered into, church. So don't worry, little flock. You have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Verse 6 says that Adonai will grant you peace. And verse 7 says that you have to pursue your enemies and strike them down with a sword. This is because you have been given peace. This is because you have been given shalom. That requires you to go to war and make sure that peace is made manifest in your own land and in your own day. Let us call to you today to become unbreakable bows that are useful to the master and in constant warfare. So that the unseen nature of the kingdom of God is brought here to this earth. Hear the charge of the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He says, Strife until death, battle throughout life, fighting with a certainty of victory. How is it that the same gospel, with, which always speaks of peace, here proclaims a warfare? How can it be? Simply because there is something in the world which is antagonistic to peace. There are principles abroad which cannot bear light, and therefore, before light can come, it must chase the darkness. Before summer rains, you know it has to do battle with old winter and send it howling away in the winds of March, then shedding its tears in April showers. 
So also, before any great or good thing can have the mastery of this world, it must do battle for it. Satan has seated himself on his bloodstained throne, and who shall take him down except by force? Darkness broods over the nations. Nor can the sun establish his empire of light until he has pierced the night with the arrow sunbeams and made it flee away. Hence we read in the Bible that Christ did not come to send peace on the earth, but a sword. He came to set the father against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Not intentionally, mind you, but as a means to an end, because there must always be a struggle before truth and righteousness can reign. Alas, for that earth is the battlefield where good must combat with evil. Angels look on and hold their breath, burning to mingle in the conflict. But the troops of the captain of salvation may be none but the soldiers of the cross. And that slender band of bow must fight alone and yet shall triumph gloriously. Enough shall they be for conquest. The motto of their standard is enough. Enough by the arm of the helping trinity. Somebody say enough. You've been given enough. You have enough. You have exactly what you need for you to be able to fight, to be that bow that sends out, that launches again and again. You are the bow in the arm of the mighty archer, the mighty one of Israel. You not only have enough to be a bow, but you have enough to be an unbreakable bow. The Apostle John not only agrees with this, but declares it even more so in 1 John 5, 4 for our final scripture. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You have been given a birthright. If you are in this house and been genuinely transformed, then you have been born into a kingdom that is not of this world. You are not of the same substance. You are not of the same DNA before Christ moved in you. You have a birthright as a result of that. You have a birthright that comes to the believer. That birthright is victory. It's for you to be able to conquer. It's for you to be able to overcome. Because there is an empowerment that comes through faith in him, through hearing and receiving the real revelation from heaven and just learning to operate in it every single day with every thought, with every desire, only accomplishing what God has put you here to accomplish. So we're coming to a close. Church, you are a bow. And you're becoming an unbreakable bow. What things are causing you to break down or lack heart instead of becoming unbreakable? I feel like in the room, there's a lot of people that are standing to their feet. They're sitting down, but I can feel that you're standing to your feet because you are being inspired by the revelation that you've received, and you're remembering. You're remembering what you need to stand upon. It is igniting something inside of you. Remember, real revelation is unbreakable. Real revelation in you makes you unbreakable. And real revelation in you through the works of your hands and the words of your mouth makes others unbreakable. So our altar time now is going to be very direct and very clear for us. When you evaluate the fact that you are a bow, then the question then becomes, what are you launching every day? 
What are you launching every day from your life? We're talking to you about not only the works that you do, but the words that come from the, F, from the, from the center of your being, from your own heart. We have to have both our works and our words in tandem to launch things out rightly. Are you trying to do the right kind of works, but your words are faithless, filled with the drudgery that you feel like each year? You're explaining what the stretching feels like. This is too much. I don't think I can handle it. Do you have the right kind of words, but your works are not showing that that is actually coming from your life? Are we preaching better than we're living? See, God is going to help us today. This altar is designed. Did you hear the way that we said it all throughout the sermon? You are a bow. You're already there. What we're becoming and what I'm talking to you about is about you becoming an unbreakable bow. The kind that continue to launch God's will forth every single day over and over again. Rejoicing in the tension, rejoicing in the stretching, because you know that that puts you close to God's face. It puts you close that you can see what he is actually seeing. Your perspective changes and your works and your words align. Stand to your feet with us now as we put one final scripture on the, on the screen. John 14 and verse 10. It says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own. I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. That our words and our works might be in alignment. That as we are standing on true revelation, that is itself unbreakable. That while we are standing in it, it is making us unbreakable. This altar is for the place for those who need to stand on the revelation that God has, become unbreakable in your actions, in, in, your, in your words as well. Mighty God, we love you. We honor you. Move upon our hearts today, O oh Lord. Lord, that this church is a church filled with bows. Lord, and your desire for us is that we become unbreakable as we stand upon your revelation, as we have both worthy words and worthy works that are before you because it's accomplishing your will in Jesus' name.